I love when people who know so much about music tell those of us who know nothing about music, just read the notes on the screen. <laughs> but you sounded great. Whether you're reading notes or doing like me and just making a joyful noise. Uh, but thanks, Ron and Orlando, for, uh, for leading us into worship like you always do so well. Good to see you all here this morning. I am glad to see that you survived another Christmas. Congratulations. Again, it was a little touch and go at my house. Uh, not so much the chaos, just a lot of food, but we muscled through. So, um, yeah, it was great. You know, I, I've come to appreciate how different Christmas is in a home with small kids and then when the kids are grown. When the kids are small, the day before Christmas, it's all about tomorrow's Christmas. We get to open our presents, you know, get more toys. And, of course, Christmas Day is just chaos. And then the day after Christmas, the chant becomes, I'm bored. <laughs> you got all these presents, all these, no, there's nothing to do. You know? And then the countdown switches from counting down from, you know, to Christmas Day. Now we're counting down to the last day of school, right? So you can say, I'm bored, the first day of summer vacation. Yeah. So you young parents, way to go. You're doing a great job. But, uh, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas uh, day yesterday. And even though Christmas Day is over, I wanted to preach one more sermon in this series, these Christmas road trips that we've been talking about. Because again, even though Christmas Day is over, there's still a lot of traveling going on. I know there's a lot of people here this morning who have traveled to be here. And when you think about it, the, the traditional Christmas songs that we sing, so many of them deal with traveling. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. I'll be home for Christmas. I met a man who lives in Tennessee, and he was headed for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. Then that very tender classic, Grandma got run over by a reindeer, walking home from our house Christmas Eve. Yeah. Lots of traveling going on. And I mentioned several times... When you come to the story of the birth of Jesus, everybody there is on a road trip. Everybody is traveling. The angels traveled to be there. The shepherds traveled to be there. We talked about the wise men traveling to be there. And then last week we talked about Joseph, especially Mary, and their journey to get to Bethlehem. And in this series we've talked about a road trip to hope, and we've talked about a road trip to faith. And it just seems sort of fitting that we've got to wind up this series talking about a road trip to love. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Sunday school teacher asked her class to draw a picture of the nativity scene, and one little girl in particular put all the people in the nativity scene into an airplane. And the teacher said, well, why exactly did you put everybody in an airplane? And the little girl said, that's the flight to Egypt. <laughs> she said, well, who's the really mean guy sitting up front? She said, that's Pontius the pilot. I said, okay, I, I see Mary and Joseph and the baby, but who's the really, really big guy behind them? She said, that's the round yon virgin. <laughs> uh, I guess everybody has their own interpretation of the story, but the little girl was right, at least in the fact that there's a lot of traveling going on, a lot of traveling in this story. And you might think that the only person that really didn't have to travel to get there was Jesus. I would disagree. 
And in fact, I would suggest that Jesus made not only the first move, he made by far the farthest move as well to be there, which really shouldn't be too surprising. Because when you read Scripture, we're always reading about a God who's on the move. Well, God didn't just tell Abraham to go to a new land. He, he promised to take him there. And when the Israelites left Egypt, God didn't just say, head to the promised land. God led them to the promised land. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells one of his most famous stories. Uh, talks about uh, a father with a couple sons, and the father is representative of God the father. And if you remember, the father runs to meet his prodigal son. Because God moves towards those he loves. This road trip to love that we're going to talk about, it's a trip that God himself takes. And you need to understand that, and you need to appreciate that, because every other world religion will tell you that God doesn't move, and that God doesn't go anywhere. God, you're you're going to have to work your way to God, because he's certainly not going to work his way to you. And that's why the goal of every other world religion is to somehow figure out a path to God, somehow get to God because he's not going anywhere. And you've got to figure out how to get to him and how to please him. The story that we're talking about today reveals a God who came to us. And I might have used this example before, but in his book Radical, David Platt talks about being in Indonesia and he is in some meetings with some world religion leaders, uh, some leading members of the Muslim faith and the Buddhist faith, and, and they're talking about the things that their different faiths have in common and, and maybe some things they don't have in common. And as he's listening to these other uh, religious leaders talk, he finally interrupts them and says, it sounds like what you're saying is that God is basically on top of a mountain, and all of us are just choosing different paths up the mountain But eventually, we're all going to get to the same place, no matter what path we choose. And they're like, yes, that's exactly what we're saying. Yes, perfect. He said, but what if God doesn't stay on top of the mountain? What if God were to come down amongst us? And they said, that would be wonderful. That would be so great. And David Platt said, allow me to introduce you to Jesus. Because the story of the birth of Jesus is a story about a God who refused to stay on top of the mountain. It's a story of a God who came to us. A story that proves that God wants a personal relationship with us. And since we couldn't get to his neighborhood, he came to ours. No one has ever taken a longer journey than Jesus when he showed up in a manger in Bethlehem. And I'll tell you, it was all downhill. The journey of love that Jesus took, it was all downhill. Jesus took the greatest demotion ever when he showed up in that little town of Bethlehem as a baby. Listen to how the Apostle Paul would describe this trip that that Jesus takes. It's Philippians chapter 2, which is not usually quoted during the Christmas season, but I think maybe it should be. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Paul is describing in that passage, that is a trip. That is a serious trip. 
And you, you think about the reality of what Jesus did to come in appearance as a man. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, the, the, the manger in Bethlehem is not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus is eternal. It is the beginning of Jesus as a man. It is the beginning of Jesus as a human being. It's the beginning of Jesus depriving himself of his glory. It's the beginning of Jesus divesting himself of his divine privileges. And the staggering claim of Christianity is God became man. And if that's not true, really none of this matters. That God became man. The deity took on humanity. Christianity claims that the king of kings and the lord of lords squeezed himself into an embryo. Now, I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about what it meant for Jesus to be a man. It meant from going to be eternally present to being confined to time and space. Now, Jesus was always omnipresent. He'd be all places at all times. Now he's confined to being in one place at a time. And if he wants to get to another place, he can only get there as fast as his two feet can take him. Now he starts to have to use the words like now and later, which had really not much meaning to God as a, you know, his deity. Words like hello and goodbye. The, the very one who spoke the world into existence had to learn how to speak. The one who holds all things together, somebody had to hold him in order for him to survive. And of course, we know he was born into the humblest of circumstances. But even if he'd been born into the greatest palace in you know, the history of the world, it still would have been this tremendous demotion. Jesus lived his entire life in poverty. He lived almost his entire life in obscurity. He was born into the most despised race on earth, the, the, the Jews at the time. Not only that, he was a Galilean Jew. They were even looked down upon by other Jews. Um, that's what the Bible means when it says he humbled himself. He humbled himself because you don't humble God. Only God can choose to humble himself. And he did. The story about a missionary in the South Seas. And for Christmas, one of his new friends gave him this very beautiful um, seashell. And the missionary knew the island well enough to know that that particular seashell was only found on the other side of the island, which was a day's trip around the, the other end and a day's trip back. And he told his friend, I, I love the gift, but you didn't have to go to all that work just to give me a gift. You didn't have to make that long journey just to give me a gift. And his friend said, but you don't understand. The journey is part of the gift. Jesus' journey from heaven to earth, is part of our gift. That's why we talk about Jesus not being part man, part God. He was fully God. And he was also fully man. And what that means is, whatever you're going through right now, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. Uh, the Hebrew writer puts it this way. The high, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses... For he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. This, this road trip of love that Jesus makes, what that means is if you're exhausted, anybody here exhausted today? <laughs> anybody feel like you're kind of you know, like drowning? 
If you're exhausted, Jesus understands. And what that road trip of love that Jesus made means is when you're getting ready to go to a funeral, Jesus understands. And what it means is when someone hurts you, when someone kind of stabs you in the back, breaks your heart, Jesus understands because he's been here and he's done that. He's walked that road. But listen, you need to understand something. Jesus didn't take the road trip just to offer us sympathy. Jesus didn't show up just to be able to put his arm around us and say, I know what you're going through. It's going to be okay. He took the road trip to offer us salvation. He came to offer us salvation. And I don't know why we get so hung up when we talk to people about salvation. You know, people ask us, what's necessary for salvation? Which is a great question. And we want to be biblical in our response because it's like the best question we could be asked, right? And so we immediately start talking about repentance and sin and confession and the inerrant word of God and a community of faith believers and um, baptism and all those things that are very important. I'm not minimizing that at all. We give them 50 verses and we give them five steps. But so many times... We don't talk about Jesus. We don't tell people about Jesus. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus. What's necessary for salvation? Jesus. That's where we have to start. That's why He came. We have a problem. Our problem is sin. Listen to how a Christian writer talks about our sin problem. Amos couldn't preach it away and Aaron couldn't sacrifice it away. Moses couldn't legislate it away. Miriam couldn't dance it away. David couldn't worship it away. Jeremiah couldn't weep it away. Daniel couldn't pray it away. Only Jesus could take it away. If Jesus had traveled only here to give us a chance at a better life here? If he traveled here only to tell us how to live a better life, it would not have been far enough. It would not have been enough. A sacrifice was demanded. So Jesus came to, make, to be and to make that sacrifice. There is no other world religion that would teach that God would do such a thing. Christianity says God did it, Christianity says God had to do it. The story of Bethlehem, it is the ultimate rebuttal to this notion, I can figure it out on my own. It is the ultimate argument to, you know, I can, I can figure my life out on my own. I can fix myself. I can heal myself. I can save myself. No, you can't. And the baby in the manger proves that that was never God's intention. Story of Bethlehem proves that. I heard a story about, a Christmas story about an elderly woman. She got to the age where she said, you know, I just can't go out and buy all my kids and grandkids gifts anymore. It's just too big a hassle. I'm too old. I'm just going to, I'm going to send everybody cash this Christmas. So she went to the bank and she got a big stack of cash and she divvied it out into you know, little stacks to send to her kids and her grandkids. 
She got some Christmas cards and some envelopes, and she addressed all the envelopes to her children and her grandchildren. She put the card in the envelope, took them to the post office, mailed them. Christmas morning, she's walking by her desk, and she looks at her desk, and she sees all the stacks of cash still on the desk. And she realizes, I sent the cards, but I didn't put the money in them. So all over America that Christmas morning, her family was opening up cards that said, get your own presents, Grandma. <laughs> Not a bad precedent to start, probably. No, but so many people believe when it comes to the life that we long for, when it comes to the life that we dream to have, somehow we can get it ourselves. Somehow we can figure it out. The story of Bethlehem says, no, you can't. You cannot. That road trip of love that Jesus took proved that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Proves that he wasn't just a wise prophet. That road trip of love that Jesus took proved that we didn't need just a life coach. We need a savior. We needed Jesus to take that trip. Our, Our very lives depended on it. We have spent uh, our lives doing what Jesus didn't do. Paul said that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. We do it all the time. Every time we sin, every time we say, I want to do this, my needs, my wishes, my wants are the most important thing in the world right now, we try to grasp equality with God. You know, the very beginning, back in the book of Genesis, the tempter told Adam and Eve, you can be like God. And they believed him. He's still feeding us that same line. You can be like God. And so we try to grasp equality with God. You know, I've read this, and you probably have before, the definition of sin is when we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. The definition of salvation is when God put himself where only we deserved to be. So that's the travel choice that Jesus had to make. Am I willing to go to earth and die so that they can come to heaven and live? And he was. He was willing to come here and die so we can go there and live. And you have no idea how much he dreaded that trip. He dreaded the trip. The very last stage of the journey in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying to God, is there any other path? Is there any other road? And of course God said, no, this is it. This is the path. This is the road trip of love. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Jesus had no sin. That's why Paul said he became obedient to death. See, for us, death is an inevitability. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. For Jesus, death was a choice. He chose to go where he didn't belong so we could go where we don't deserve. So why did he do it? 
This road trip of love, why in the world would Jesus do it? And we can all agree there's only one explanation. There's only one reason why Jesus would do what he did, and that's love. The only reason he came was because he loved us. John writes famously, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And then he goes on to say, this is real love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The story that we've been talking about this past month, the story that the whole world's been talking about this past month, is the story of God telling us, collectively and individually, you are worth the trip. You, personally, you're worth the trip. God came to us so we could go to Him. By the way, before I wrap this series up, I want to be sure you understand that Jesus is not through traveling. He's going to come again. And when He comes again, no one is going to question His kingship. And when He comes again, He's not going to come in obscurity. And when he comes again, worship will not be optional. Let me finish our anchor text today. Let me finish the, this passage in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The next couple days, next couple weeks, we are going to be taking down Christmas decorations. Next week or two, this is all going to be changed. Your tree will come down, your lights will get put away, the decorations will be boxed up, because the holiday season is over. The story of Bethlehem is not seasonal. Jesus was born a king. He reigns as king. And because of that, you have a decision to make. Is it true or isn't it? This story that everybody's talking about, this story that we've been talking about, is it true or isn't it? Did the Son of God come to earth as a man for me? And and, and if you don't think it's true... If you're convinced it didn't happen the way the Bible says it happens, just just bow out, okay? Just bow out. But if it's true, bow down. You can either bow out or you can bow down. But one day, everybody's going to bow down. You can do it now or you can do it later, but one day, the entire universe will bow before Jesus. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a blessing that we serve a God who refused to stay still. Who refused to stay put. We serve a God who looked at us and said, they are not going to make it. They do not have a chance. And Jesus said, I'm going after them. And he did. So he made the farthest move. 
He made the biggest move. Now he's asking us to turn to him. Now he's asking us just to take that step, that step toward Jesus. And that's my challenge today. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.